We are very grateful to God to be your missionaries. How many, how many of you uh, am I brand new? You've never seen me before. Raise your hand, please. You don't know me at all. Your luck just ran out. We, uh, <laughs> we've been hanging around here for nearly 10 years. Uh, pastor Mike Hess, the previous lead pastor in this church, was our dear friend, remains our dear friend, and uh, grateful to God for his ministry. So since some of you do not know us, and some of you sinned by not coming to Sunday school, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. I need to be careful. What I, uh, let me just give you, in very brief terms, uh, not as much as I did this morning. I'm Wayne. That's Susie. She's not here because our daughter, Sally, uh, who was married and has five kids and lives in Nashville and her husband's a pastor. Our daughter, Sally, had surgery on Thursday. So Susie is there caring for our daughter. Aren't you glad? That daughter has uh, three mostly grown girls that don't need care, but she also has a three-year-old adopted little son and a 10-month-old baby. And so, yeah, I know. Everybody's going, yeah, help needed, right? Uh, that's true. So uh, Susie's in Nashville today uh, taking care of Sally and her family, and we're very grateful to God that she can do that. Uh, I just miss her like crazy. These are the five kids that God allowed us to raise. Uh, they're spread out all over the place. This is the family, 21 grandchildren, uh, at this point, 10 biological, nine, uh, I'm sorry, 11 biological, 10 are adopted, and uh, we're grateful to God for the way that he has built our family. Very briefly, what we do on your behalf in places all over the world is this. We train biblical counseling trainers. That is to say, we train pastors and those they bring with them to be able to do soul care in and through their churches, to be intentional disciple-making churches, and to be able, in that intentional disciple-making process, to be able to do competent, compassionate soul care in and through the local church. That's what our team does in various places uh, all around the world, and we're very grateful to God to have a wonderful team serving in these nations in 2019. The ones that are highlighted or emboldened are places where Susie and I personally have served this year. So we stay kind of on the road and in the air uh, all over the world. We, we're grateful to do that on your behalf. This is our team as it was constituted about two months ago. And then we had our missionary training conference the first week of October. And in that main missionary training conference, we are preparing to add 11 additional families to our team. That will bring our team to 32 missionary families doing this kind of work that OIC does all over the world. We're very grateful to God for your partnership with us in doing that. You pray for us. You give to us. We're grateful to God uh, for your partnership and the way that you support us. And we're always glad to come back here. I, I can't tell you when I've been more alert to the fact that um, a church has taken seriously what I said about what I was going to preach and structured the entire preparation for that so intentionally and carefully. Thank you, whoever did that. Who did that? Did you do that? Did Matt do that? Who did that? Somebody did that. You did that. Just like that. And, and uh, what a wonderful thing. Starting with, uh, does Jesus care? And the, <laughs> and the affirmative and exclamatory answer, he does care, doesn't he? My, his heart is touched by the stuff with which I struggle. The various challenges of my life are his concern. Jesus cares for me. Aren't you glad about that? He cares for you. Uh, we're very thankful. So I want to talk to you for a little while about this question. Uh, what does Jesus do for you when you struggle? And I want you to turn to John chapter 20 in preparation for that. While you're finding John chapter 20, which is not all that difficult, I just want to point you to the title of the message again and have you reflect with me on why I would call a message by this title. What does Jesus do for you when you struggle presumes that you struggle. And, and it may well be that you came to church on Sunday morning and you think, well, I'm really not struggling today. Here's the truth. The truth is you're a broken person living in a broken world, surrounded by broken people. And the truth is that in your heart of hearts, while you may not be quick to admit it or share it with anyone else, there are times when you struggle. 
You struggle in various ways at various times with various circumstances that God ordains for you. All of us do because we live in a broken world surrounded by broken people. So the question is not, do you struggle? You struggle, and so do I. Is that okay? Say yes or no. You struggle. Of course you do. People struggle. Families struggle. Churches struggle. You struggle. And the question is, what does Jesus do? I, I love the fact that we start. I'd like the choir to sing that again. It's, it just ministered to my soul. Does Jesus care? When I struggle... And the, and the answer, of course, is he certainly does. What does Jesus do for you specifically when you struggle? And when you do struggle, here's the question. When you struggle, what do you do with that struggle? There, there's got to be some answer better than trite platitudes. Read your Bible more, pray more. There, there's got to be some, some answers that are a little bit more robust, a little bit more soul-satisfying than just churchianity kinds of answers. So today, recognizing that all of us struggle and that these people in our text struggled in a certain way, I want you to work with me through the text here and think with me about the way these guys struggled and about the way that you often struggle. And let's answer the question, what does Jesus do for you? Because if you're not struggling today, you will be soon. We know that for sure. And here's what I'd like you to do. As we approach the text, it's your honor to the king. I'd like you to take your Bible in your hands and stand with me as I read God's word. And after that, I'm going to pray. Let me just read for you John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews... Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Bow with me, please, as we address the king. So here we are, Father, Sunday morning in church recognizing from our hearts that you are the infinite, sovereign, holy God of heaven, recognizing that you have for your purposes, for the sake of your glory, brought us together into this place, into this time, guest and member alike, longtime servant and new folks among us. We know that we're here by divine appointment. You've put us here because you're the God who controls. You're the God who loves you're the God who knows. We know, dear Father, that we are people who, because we are beset with our nature of sin, although redeemed, still struggle. So here we are in church on Sunday morning. For what reason? 
so that we can acknowledge before you publicly with our voices your kindness, your sovereignty, your goodness, so that we can raise our voices in unison to declare Jesus is Lord in our lives, so that we can hear from heaven, so that we can open our Bibles, so that we can get your message, so that we can go from this place better equipped and better motivated to live in a broken world among broken people and to face the vicissitudes of life that will certainly affect us this week. Here's my prayer. My prayer, dear Father, is for each of us and all of us, for me, uh, for all of those who are listening in this room, for all who might be listening later uh, via some kind of an electronic means. Here's my prayer. Dear Father, would you calm and quiet our hearts? Help us, dear Father, not to just <laughs> quiet our devices that want to scream at us every minute of the day, but help us, dear Father, beyond that, to listen well, to have our attention on you, to be the kind of people who are hearers of the word, and then as we go from this place, doers also. Help us, dear Father, to recognize the sanctity and the importance of moments like these. Help us, dear Father, to recognize that you desire to do something in our lives through these minutes that is transformative so that as we live our lives for your glory, our focus will be on you, your kindness, your goodness in our lives. And all of this I ask in the name and through the blood of the Lord Jesus and for the sake of his glory. Amen. Thanks, and you can be seated. What does Jesus do for you when you struggle? Well, this text helps us to understand, first of all, what the disciples' struggle looked like at that moment. The disciples had struggles for sure, and you can tell. By the way, do you have your Bible right there, John chapter 20? Look at just the previous verses. This is, as you know, immediately after the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, and to your God and my God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said this, th these things to her. And the very next verse, the verse that begins our text, even though Mary had announced the resurrection of the Lord, the very first verse, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. These guys were living under Roman rule. They were living in Palestine. These guys were in a hostile environment for sure. And yet these guys who had been following Jesus for three years had just been told Jesus is alive. Now, on the one hand, that's woohoo, right? That's really good news. That's best possible news. And you would think they might be jumping up and down with joy, right? You might think, are you with me? Say yes or no. You, you might think that, but, but, but no, what's happening instead is these guys are instead hiding and fearful of the religious majority and probably thinking something like this. If the Jews kill Jesus and we're Jesus' followers, it makes sense that the next thing they're going to do is they're going to come after us. They're probably going to kill us too. Ah, what do we do? I know what we do. We huddle in a room and we lock the door and we just wait to see what happens next. Ah. That's kind of where they are. So they had this, this whiplash of conflicting emotions that, on the one hand, the very best possible thing that ever could be announced has just been announced. And on the other hand, the very worst imaginable possible outcome was probably going to be their destiny. Both of those things happening simultaneously. Really, really great news and really troubling things happening in the culture, in the society. Has that ever happened to you? Say yes or no. Where on the one hand, there's just, there's just really good things happening. I don't know if it's in your life or in your family or in your job or, or whatever. Really good things happening. I mean, it is just, oh man. And on the other hand, look, look around you, ladies and gentlemen. Anybody read the headlines recently or watch TV this week? It, it's a mess out there, isn't it? 
Good thing we don't put our hope in the U.S. government, isn't it? Or in any of its representatives. Good thing we put our hope in Christ. Somebody say amen. That, it's a mess out there. And not only out there in our country, but out there in the rest of the world. Have you followed the news of what's happening in various hotspots all over the world? This is, this is what it's like to, to live in a broken world among broken people as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, now one option for us is get in a room and lock the door and hope nobody bangs it down. But there's other options. And I don't know what it, what it means in your life, what it looks like in your life to struggle, but here are some. This, this is not a comprehensive list. This is a representative list of what it might look like in your life to struggle. I don't know. For example, some people in this room undoubtedly, sight unseen or unknown to others, are struggling with broken or strained relationships. Things aren't going well, and now we're right up against Thanksgiving. Guess what happens? The whole family gets together. Aren't you glad? And crazy old Uncle Fred, you know Uncle Fred? You got Uncle Fred in your family? <laughs> I hope none of you have a crazy Uncle Fred. Crazy old Uncle Fred and Aunt Myrna are coming for Thanksgiving, and it's not going to go well. I talked to a guy yesterday who said, yep, we're going to the relatives, and he does have crazy, I know this guy, and he's got crazy relatives, and they're coming. It's going to be tough because there's broken or strained relationships. Maybe some of you are struggling today with a life-dominating sin. Maybe others know it. Maybe they don't. Maybe this is something that you've been hiding very carefully, very judiciously. There is, there are, there is thinking, there is choosing, there is behaving, going on behind the scenes, unknown to anyone else. And you are struggling because you know, on the one hand, this is certainly not bringing glory to God, certainly not pleasing to him. And on the other hand, so deeply ashamed that you are unwilling to confess or admit or get any help from those who might help you to think and choose and feel differently. For some, there's a persisting uh, feeling of insecurity. Now, some of you might be guests here today. I don't know who's a guest and who's a member. But if you're a guest here today, that could be because you're struggling with knowing what, what your eternal destiny is going to include and you've come to a place like this to hear a message about the, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, how that God has, through his Son, made a way for us to have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all of that stuff of earth can be subsumed in a different worldview that allows you to be free of the stress of worrying about all that stuff. You can literally find grace in God place faith in Jesus, have sins forgiven, and become a child of God. But even among the believers, there could be a sense of insecurity. I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I, I'm really struggling with insecurity. Or maybe you're struggling today because of a debilitating or persistent uh, physical illness. Uh, this happens, I, I'm told, uh, sometimes in the lives of old people. I, I'm told. I don't know because I refuse to, you know, get old. But, but there is no question whether you are young or whether you are old. There is, without question, a relationship between the outer man and the inner man. When the outer man hurts, the inner man struggles. Are you with me on that? Stub, stub my toe on the communion table in a couple of minutes, and all of a sudden, I, oh, I may not be as patient with you as I should be because my outer man is hurt, therefore my inner man is not processing worship <laughs> in the same way that I should be. Pro I'm not thinking and choosing and feeling as Christ-like as I should at that moment because of the impact of what has happened in the outer man. That happens regularly to us because we live in a broken world and we live in aging bodies. And the earth suit that God has given to us is getting older. And I'm looking at some gray hair 
in the mirror um, and, and out here. The, the earth suit that God has given to us is decaying day by day, right? So the question becomes, how do I think and how do I choose and how do I feel about the fact that I live in a fallen frame that is heading for, body, for room temperature? Or, for some, there is a family-destroying work-life balance where you are subsumed by, overwhelmed by responsibilities that drive a wedge between you and your spouse, between you and your kids, and this is having a very, very difficult impact in your lives. Or maybe, as you look forward, you are unable to see how that your life could be any different five years from now or ten years from now than it is now. That is to say, there is no path that moves you from where you are today spiritually forward that gives you a sense that you'll be different tomorrow, different in five years, different in ten years, more in love with Jesus, more effective as a servant of God. There, there's, no, there's no looking forward with hope. That could be the way that you are Struggling. I spoke with a pastor yesterday as I was driving. This pastor is in a place where the town has literally dried up. There's no more town. The church is going to be closing. Uh, he needs to be leaving. He's got no place to go. And he's just a, a wonderful guy who said, you know what I'd like to do? I'd just like to crawl in a hole. My mission, give him some hope. Point him to his sufficiency in Christ. Help that he's struggling. All of us struggle. So what does your struggle look like? And what does your struggle do? Here's what a struggle does in your life. And whether, whether you have it today or whether it's still coming. And by the way, we know for sure there's struggles coming in your life and mine. Here's what a struggle does. And maybe this is true of you right now today. What a struggle does is it collapses your world. That is to say, all of a sudden, things turn inward. And here's what happens. All of life, the things that are happening around, even maybe including this service, are seen through the lens of the struggle. Here's my struggle. And so that now my relationship with my wife, my relationship with the kids, my relationship with the in-laws, my relationship at work, all of my life is viewed through the lens of this struggle. And you're going to hear stuff like, well, people don't really understand me. They, they don't get me because they've never experienced what I've experienced, which, of course, as you know, is not true. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no trouble, no trial has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, not the exact details, but it's common. What trouble does, what struggling does, is to, is to turn your heart inward. Now all of a sudden what I'm doing is I'm thinking about me, my stuff, my issues, my desires. And your world collapses and it gets really small and it begins to limit you in a variety of ways. That's exactly what's happening here in our text. These guys, think about this, these guys followed Jesus for three years watched him go to the cross, and he died. That's the end of it. That's the end of the vision. And what did Peter say? I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I knew before I started following Jesus. I'm done. But now Mary comes along and she says, I've seen the risen Lord. And despite that, these guys are huddled in a room with the door locked. What does Jesus give to them. Therefore, what does Jesus give to you when life is difficult, when you are struggling? Here's the first thing. Look at verse 19. Here's what it says. That evening of that day, the first day of the week. By the way, I want you to just realize where we are historically. This is literally Resurrection Sunday. Jesus was resurrected earlier that morning. He revealed himself to Mary. This is Sunday night, first day of the week, the, of resurrection day. These guys are huddled at the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them. 
What does Jesus give you when you struggle? The first thing Jesus gives you is himself. Somebody should say amen or hallelujah or glory to God or some kind of Bapticostal exclamation. He gives you himself. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. In the struggle, whatever it is with you, whatever, Jesus is there. He imposes himself. He puts it. It's a locked room, ladies and gentlemen. How does Jesus get into a locked room? Well, he's got his resurrection body, so Jesus can just walk into locked rooms. Isn't that cool? It's like a superpower, right? He just walks into the locked room, and Jesus makes his presence known. He's standing among them. I, I get a mental picture of this. Can, can, you, can you get this? Here's, here's kind of the way it goes. It goes something like this. Jesus walks in over. And here's the guys. They're all huddling around going, what are we going to do? Oh, the Jews, they're going to kill us. Oh, no, I don't know what to do next. What do you think we should? Jesus. Did you see what just happened there? All of their focus which is on themselves, all of their focus, which is on their struggle, all of their focus, which is on their circumstances, suddenly changes when Jesus walks into the room. It's Jesus. And what happens is that suddenly the focus shifts. Here's the challenge for you and me. And I don't know what your life circumstances at this moment whether you're enduring a particular struggle at this point or not. And if not, I said to you before, if you're not today, you will soon. But here's what I know for sure. When the struggle hits and your focus is just all on that thing, it's all about me, it's all about my life, it's all about my circumstances. When your focus is all inward and on what's going on here, you miss Jesus. He's there. And he's there for you. Today, and on that day when life suddenly gets tough, when there is the kind of struggle that I talked about earlier. And so I just found a few out of hundreds of examples in the scripture that help us demonstrate that. You know these verses. I'm with you always to the end of the age, right? Here's a good question. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? He is a God at hand, at hand, like present immediately, like right now. I will ask the Father, he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you already know that what you have is God's presence in the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling you permanently. That would be another great amen spot. That, that's that's kind of cool, I think. Don't you think so? Anybody here happy about that? Say yes or no. That's <laughs> If I have to cue you, then it's not as exciting. All right, so... Help me out here. That's kind of cool. I love this one. You all know this story. This is, this is, a, this is that story. Uh, in the Old Testament, people of God trapped in Egypt. And uh, next thing you know, Moses comes. and Let my people go. And no, I'm not going to do it. And ten plagues. And they go out to the river. And the sea opens up. And they go through on dry ground. And now they're out there in the Sinai Peninsula. And the Egyptian army is swallowed up in the sea. And uh, the enemy has been conquered. And they're safe from the enemy. And now they're in Sinai. And all is well, right? And from that point until today, that nation has had a continuous worship service. <clears throat> right? No. No, it lasted about two weeks. The next thing you know is they start grumbling. You got your food out here. The brass out here die. This is, I don't know what we're doing out here in the desert. This is horrible. Came out here, and, well, who's this guy, Moses? Where is he? He took off. I don't know what's going on here. And what is this food? This mana, mana. Do you know what it means? It literally means, what is it? <laughs> like, mana, every day, mana, every meal, mana, mana, mana. Back in Egypt, at least, we had onions. <laughs> They're grumbling and complaining and, and all the rest. And then God says, okay, send some spies up into the land. And, uh, and check it out. So they send 12 guys up there. They come back. Ten guys say, no, no, they're too big. We can't do it. And two guys say, let's go. We can. Can I, can I say this with all due respect? I think this may have been the first Baptist church majority vote. They, 
I said it right out loud in the Baptist church. I can't believe I... Ten to two, the, the will of God is defeated. Because we're, we're, we're afraid. Ah, no, let's not go. And so they spend 40 years wandering around, right? So what happens? This is the text, finally getting to the text. Here's what happens. 40 years later, God says, okay, go. And God says, time to go into the land. Listen to this. Check it out in Exodus 33. Time to go into the land, but I'm not going with you. Because if I go with you, I'm going to kill you. Because you are a stiff-necked people. And Moses is horrified, like, ah, no, no. And he runs to the tent of meeting and pleads with God, please, God, no. You've got to go with us. This, this, is what, this is what's not. How will the heathen nations know that you are our God? One of the great indications that these were God's people is that he was with them every place he went. He was with them. And now God says, I'm not going with you. Go on your own. And, and Moses, please, Lord, no. And God finally relents. And he says, my presence shall go with you. And I will give you rest. What a fascinating story. And you all know Hebrews 13.5, which is a quotation from the Old Testament. I will never leave you or forsake you. What does Jesus give you when you struggle? He gives you himself. He's always been there. He always will be there. His Presence is always. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. The second thing is that he envisions and offers change for them. I love that he says the very first thing, peace be with you. A little bit later he said, peace be with you. A week later he said, peace be with you. And this just translates that word shalom. Shalom is not, because this is kind of used like in Hawaii, they say aloha, hello, goodbye, good luck, everything is aloha. This is sort of the way we have come to recognize this word. Shalom, it just sort of means generically peace. Here's what it does not mean. It does not mean the same thing as what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that you can have peace with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That peace is a cessation of hostilities. Did you know lost people, if you're a lost person today, if you've never accepted God's gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, did you know that you are literally at war with God? Think about that. You are at war with God. You don't feel like you're at war with God, but you are, spiritually. You're at war. By the way, do you know how wars end? When somebody surrenders. Um... Here's a quick note for you. God will not surrender to you. Did you know that? So here's what happened in my life when I was seven years old and what happened in a lot of your lives at different ages throughout history. Here's what happened. You heard the glorious message of the gospel of Christ. You heard what God did for you. And by grace, through faith, you threw up your hands and you said, I surrender. Right? That's what it means to become a believer in Jesus Christ. You no longer have any will of your own. You no longer have any ways of Jesus is Lord. He's now in charge. You surrendered to him. You get to do what he says, when he says it, the way that he says it, where he says it, right? Say yes or no. All of you surrender. I think we just sang, didn't we? Uh, what was the last song we sang? That you just let us in. Lord, I need you. <laughs> That's right. Of course we do. Of course we do. So what, what Jesus is doing here is saying to these guys, here's, here's what I'd like you to know. And here's what I would like you to know, congregation. There's a better day coming. There's a day, be faithful, be solid. There's a better day coming. This is what the disciples needed to hear in that locked upper room. Here's what the... There's a better day coming, and here's what that day looks like. In that day, sin will be no more. 
everything will be as it should be. All the systems of earth will be controlled by the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Shalom. Shalom is things as they should be, well-ordered, in the way that God designed. And Jesus gives them shalom. What does Jesus give you when you struggle? He gives you his presence. And because of his presence, he also gives you Shalom, a sense that while you struggle, while you live in this broken world, while you have to put up with the people that you have to put up with in your family and in your marketplace activities, there's, a, there's not just a different day coming, there's a whole new way of thinking coming. There's a whole new cultural perspective coming. And then he says, number three, I love this. This is, this is my, now can you imagine, all of this happens, by the way, in a couple of seconds. Peace be with you, verse 20, when he had said this, he showed him his hands inside. This proves that he was who he was. Then the disciples, at the end of verse 20, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Did you catch what happened here? So, so shall I act it out for you? Here, here it is again. Watch this. Oh no, what are we going to do? The Jews, oh they're going to kill, I don't know. Jesus. Peace. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right? Real, real, soulish, euphoric joy. Because guess what? If Jesus is here, and Jesus is speaking to me, and he is, now, in this place. Then, we can be joyful. We can, we can be better than happy. We can be joyful. Let me ask you a question. Ladies and gentlemen, are you joyful? Say yes or no. Have you told your face? Would you, would you just communicate that to your face, please? And... I just, it's just, here's what, Susie, my sweet bride, uh, by the way, did I tell you, 46 years, these folks, 49 years right down here, set, right, 40, 46 years for us, and uh, what a joy, Susie taught for a number of years at the university, she's a dental professional, and she taught young dental students uh, in the university, they would take her aside sometimes, and be, it's a public university, so she could not just openly share the gospel in the class or quote the Bible in class, that's verboten. But what she could do is she could just be a joyful Christian, and she did. Susie, as you know, is radiant. She is just lovely. And, and her spirit just exudes the joy of the Lord. And so she would be teaching, the, and the students would come to her after class, and they'd say, Mrs. V, you're different than all the other professors. And she would say, okay. No, no, I, what is it that you have? that they don't have. And my wife would say, would you really like to know? Yeah, I'm curious. And she would say, meet me in my office, four o'clock. And they would go in the office. And since the student initiated the conversation, it was within her rights as a professor to go in her room and lock the door and pull open her drawer and pull out her Bible and share with these students the glorious message of the gospel of Christ. And she led many of those students to faith in Christ not because she was radically and offensively proclaiming the gospel in the classroom, but because her heart sings Christ. She's a joyful Christian. You should be too, don't you think? And don't you think in this troubled world, with all the struggles around us, if you walked through life with an idiot grin on your face, And you were <laughs> probably <laughs> a, real, a real possibility. And if, and if you were just, without being offensive or inappropriate, radiating Christ, this is why you're always to be ready to give an answer to every man concerning the hope that is within you. You know that verse? 
It happens when you are a living, breathing representative of Jesus Christ and happy to be so. These guys instantly, at the first words of our Lord, had joy. And then, here's what happens. Look at this. Verse 21. What, he, what Jesus said to them was, again, peace be with you. And then he said, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. So right in that moment, in the presence of Jesus, with their hearts transformed, Jesus commissions them to go serve others. What just happened there? Here's what happened. What happened was, at this first moment, all of their attention shifted from themselves to him. And then in the next moment, when he says, I'm sending you, their attention turns to others who need him. We are so radically and in a demented way focused on ourselves. My stuff, my problems, my issues, my priorities, my goals. It's all about me. That's the kind of generation in which we live. Here's what Jesus says. You're mine. I love you. I've got a better future for you that brings joy to your soul and that turns your hearts from yourselves to others. All kinds of folks out there that need the message that you have, ladies and gentlemen, the message of the glorious gospel of Christ. I was in uh, uh, 2014, we were there at the ACBC annual meeting at Grace Community Church in Southern California, John MacArthur's church. I had some preliminary responsibilities, so Susie and I got there a little early. And so we went to Grace Community Church on Sunday morning, and John MacArthur was preaching. I'll never forget something that he said. He said to his congregation, you know things those people don't know. The people out there, the people who are lost, you know things they don't know. They might have doctorates in engineering or physics or some other kind of a highfalutin thing. They might be brilliant intellectually. You know stuff they don't, you know what you know? Here's what you know. You know why God made you. God created you for his glory. You know how to have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. You know how to make life make sense. Because once you are born again, then all of your life is pointed toward bringing glory to God. All of your life is pointed toward pleasing him. Whether you're butcher, baker, candlestick maker, whatever it is that you do for your nine to five your life in its totality is pointed at bringing glory to God. And as a result of that, your soul is at peace in this troubled world. Lost people don't have that. They can't have that. If that's true, and it is, then we better tell them, don't you think? Somebody agree with me, please. People like us should tell people like them how they can have peace with God. How their lives can be transformed, how their lives can be pointed toward a real mission of purpose, eternal purpose. And that in pointing their lives through that eternal purpose, to that eternal purpose, their lives will be transformed and their souls will be at rest. Let's think about them, not me. And then number five, here's what he does. Verse 22, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not yet Acts chapter 2, and we are dispensationalists around here, and we think the church began in Acts chapter 2, and we think that was the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But as you know, there were on many occasions temporary, specific indwellings of the Holy Spirit, especially in the Old Testament, to do specific tasks. This apparently seems to be one of those. He said to them, receive the Holy Spirit to do the work that I just gave you to do. What does Jesus do for you when you struggle? He empowers you. And today, we're past Acts chapter 2 historically. Today, you have the indwelling, permanent ministry of the Holy Spirit. You have authority and power that previous generations of Christians at this time didn't have. You are empowered to do the work that God gave you to do. And that brings us to number six. 
This is really interesting. This is the verse I'd like to skip if I could. <laughs> if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. It sure sounds on first reading in the English version of our Bibles, if you disciples forgive the sins of any, can the disciples forgive sins? Say yes or no. No, they can't. They don't have that authority. Only God forgives sins. If you forgive the sins of any, the disciples don't forgive sins. If you withhold forgiveness, can the disciples withhold forgiveness? No, that's not within their purview. Only God can give or withhold forgiveness of sin. So what in the world does that verse mean? I think it means something like this in the context. Stay with me. Jesus, peace be with you. Go tell other people. And I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to empower you to do it. And by the way, if you go tell other people the message of the gospel, and they accept the message of the gospel, their sins will be forgiven. But listen, ladies and gentlemen, if you do not go and share the gospel, the sins of people who do not hear and do not accept the gospel will not be forgiven. Why? Because they need to hear and accept the message of the gospel. In other words, share the gospel and have great confidence that God is in, at work through the message of the gospel, calling those that he has chosen to himself. Number 20, verse 28. This is really fun. Look at this. So now Thomas, one of the 12, this is verse 24. He's called the twin. What is his nickname, ladies and gentlemen? Doubting Thomas. Thank you very much. That's what we call him because of this text. He, well, unless I put my hands on I will never believe. Did you get that? What a guy. Verse 26. Eight days later, what day is that? Sunday, thank you. <laughs> it's not a trick question, I'm just saying. Uh, verse 19, it was the first day of the week, that's Sunday. Eight days later, what day is it? Sunday. This is the Sunday after Resurrection Sunday. The disciples are meeting again in that room, and it is locked. By the way, when I first started working through this and thinking about creating a sermon out of this, I had an idea that maybe I would entitle the sermon... What do you miss when you skip church? Because <laughs> you see what I'm saying? They're, Thomas was not there the previous Sunday, right? And then, <laughs> this is not church. That happens in Acts chapter 2 also. So this is not actually church. So I couldn't really call that, or people will <clears throat> question my dispensational bona fides if I, if I did that. What, what did Thomas miss? What did he miss because he skipped that first meeting on resurrection evening? What did he miss? He Here's what he missed, Jesus. That's what he missed. He missed Jesus. He missed the pronunciation of peace. He missed the joy for a week. For a week. That's horrible. He missed the commissioning. He missed the empowering. He missed the confidence that Jesus gave them in the gospel. Peter missed all of that. What do you, what do you miss when you skip church? I'm asking people who didn't skip church today. Is this called preaching to the choir? Literally. What do you miss? You miss a lot. The most important thing you miss is Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. So here it is. They're inside again. Jesus comes, stands among them. Peace be with you again for the third time, verse 27. And then he says to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Here's what verse 28 does not say. Verse 28 does not say, so Peter reached out his hand and he put his fingers into the side. It doesn't say that. So Peter put his hands into the bloody wounds and was finally convinced. It doesn't say that. Here's what it says. Look at this. Here's what it says. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. It's not in the text. It would not surprise me if at that moment he literally crumbled. He literally fell to his knees and declared, 
My Lord. He didn't have to put his hands into it. He recognized that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He got it at that moment. Do you know what Jesus gives you when you struggle? He replaces your doubt with certainty too. You see his fingerprints all over the events of this world. And finally, here's number eight. He promises blessings to those who walk in faith. Jesus said, have you believed because you've seen me? By the way, quiz question here. I just want to check to see how many liars there are in church this morning. Um, So quiz question. How many of you have literally physically with your own eyes seen Jesus Christ? Could I see the hands of all the liars, please? Because no, you didn't. No, you haven't. This verse is literally written for you. Did, you. did you believe just because you saw? That's easy. Jesus says, blessed are, this is for you. This is you. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Here's what happened. One day in your life, somebody shared with you the glorious message of the gospel. Somebody explained to you God's love for you and the way that God's grace works. Somebody helped you to recognize that it'd be possible for you to have your sins forgiven and to be restored into a, into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And the question you did not ask at that moment is, well, where's Jesus now? I want to see him. I want to shake his hand. I want to thank him for what he... Nobody ever asked that. You didn't ask that, did you? Blessed are those that believe who have not seen. And that's you and me and everybody else in this room. So why does your struggle exist? Your struggle exists for a variety of reasons. One day when I was a pastor and our church went through a certain struggle, a couple of the men came to me and they said, Pastor, what we need to do is we need to have a men's retreat and talk about what our church has just been through. I said, all right. And the man said, but Pastor, I want you to be the speaker, not somebody outside, but I want you to be the speaker, and I want you to help us think about and process through the struggle that we've just had. So I got busy studying the benefits of adversity. What does God do for you in your struggles that he does not do for you, that he cannot do for you at other times when life is more or less just kind of going along? And I came up with a list of 16. I'm not going to give you them all. Here's one interesting one. You all know this verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who, here's what he does. He comforts us in all our affliction. He does that. He comforts us. Here's the purpose statement. So that, here's the reason, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, why does God give you trouble? One of the reasons God gives you trouble is to prepare you to help other people who are having trouble. Do you know what a struggle is? A struggle is school. That's what a struggle is. A struggle is God preparing you to get ready to help people with the same grace, with the same scripture, with the same mercy, that God showed to you when you were struggling. That's one of the reasons God gives you struggle, your struggle exists. I love this from the former president of Moody Bible Institute. There's nothing, no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until, first of all, it's gone past God and past Christ through his love. If it has come that far, it's come with great purpose, which I may not understand at the moment. But as I refuse to become panicky, I like that, as I lift up my eyes to him and accept it as coming from the throne of God for some great purpose of blessing to my own heart, no sorrow will ever disturb me. No trial will ever disarm me. No circumstance will cause my heart to fret. For I shall rest in the joy of what my Lord is. That is the rest of victory. Why does your struggle exist? We always say in our biblical counseling training, never use Romans 8.28 without 29. We use 8.28, all things happen for good, you know. 
It's like a rubber stamp. It's like fatalism. Here's what the the text really says. We know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are the called, the called according to his purpose. This is Paul writing to believers, the called. Here's the purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also, here it is, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. For whom, ladies and gentlemen, do all things work together for good? For the called. And toward what good do they work together? For the good of you being conformed to the image of his son. In other words, all things have purpose in God's economy. God is doing what he is doing in your life on purpose for a purpose. To mold you into the character of Christ. So what is true in your struggle? What is true in your struggle is that Jesus is there. He's speaking peace to you. He's bringing you joy. He's encouraging you. He's helping you change. He's empowering you and he's promising you blessing when you walk in faith. What does Jesus do for you when you struggle? All of that. So then the question is, where's your focus? Today. Today, or in the struggle, or in the struggle to come, where's your focus? Is your focus on the struggle? Has your life diminished to the lens of the struggle? If so, today is the day to repent. Today is the day to call upon the Lord. Today is the day to recognize that you have turned inward and identified and evaluate the circumstances of life through the struggle? Or is your focus today on the infinite, sovereign, glorious, peace-giving, commissioning, strengthening, sending Savior? Would you bow together with me for a moment of prayer? Before I pray, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like you just to think for a moment about where you are at this moment. Okay, just, just relax. Forget about the person on your right or left, the person you came with. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. Here's the question. The question is, where's your focus? What consumes you? What are you thinking about? What's important to you? What is your passion? What do you think will satisfy you? Where is your focus? If your focus today is on someone or something other than the glorious person of the Lord Jesus Christ, other than seeking to please him, other than recognizing your life exists at this moment only so that you can bring him glory. This life is not about you, it's about him. Did you know that? Where's your focus? If your focus is somewhere else, this would be the moment to repent. We have moments like this in places like this to do business with God. I hope you came here for that purpose. This would be the time to repent, to to turn around, to confess to God your waywardness, your idolatry. And that, dear Father, is my prayer, that each of us and all of us in the room would recognize how quickly and how thoroughly our hearts are drawn away from the glory that is Christ. So here's my prayer, dear Father, would you cause me, us, all of us in the room, young and old, male and female, all of us, regardless of profession, station in life, would you help us, dear Father, to bow again at the foot of the cross to love Jesus, to have our focus as it should be, not on the circumstances around us, 
but I'm a Savior. This I ask in the name and through the blood of the Lord Jesus and for the sake of his glory. Amen.